Thanks for joining us today for the PSU's Pandemic Podcast. We'll be covering different themes around training and supervision, career concerns, well-being and difficult communications during the pandemic. In this episode, we'll be talking about assertive behaviour in the clinical workplace and we'll be discussing different techniques and cultural variations around assertive behaviour. Also, we'll be learning about how hierarchy within the NHS can affect assertive behaviour. So it's not about being overbearing, it's not about being dominant, it's about being able to communicate clearly that affects a change. I think it's difficult and there's no formula for doing so. I think it's different in different situations. So I found challenging that when you speak, you may then get a negative reaction just plainly because they're not used to having trainees speak up or make requests or express their needs in such a way that a change is affected. Sometimes being assertive can make it quite awkward. Obviously, as most trainees, we always worry about that multi-source feedback we are going to have. So we always want to please and try not to ruffle any feathers. I think the first thing is be confident without being condescending. But that's a really, really fine balance. When we don't have confidence, it does show. Other people can see it. And the only way you can have confidence is to inform yourself. So I'd like to welcome Trevor Bibich, who's a learning and development careers consultant, and he's been working for seven years in HEE around careers development and skills training, in particular assertiveness training amongst junior clinicians. Hi, Sarah. Thank you for inviting me along to the podcast. I'd also like to introduce Lynn Risteski. She's a linguist by background. She's had 15 to 16 years of experience in clinical communication, and she's been working within the PSU and has a particular interest in challenges and assertive behaviour. Hi, Sarah. Great to be here with you this morning. It's lovely to have you here with us, Trevor and Lynn. In this episode, we want to explore what assertiveness means. Within the NHS, there's deeply embedded hierarchies and cultures, and it's important to know what assertiveness is, making sure that we're communicating effectively. My question to you, Trevor, would be, what is appropriate assertiveness and how can you be assertive without being deemed aggressive? Thank you, Sarah. Often what some people tend to see as assertive is behaviour that actually we might describe as aggressive. Being able to be confrontational and being able to get what you want irrespective of the people around you can sometimes be seen as that person's very assertive. But actually, while that person may get what they want, the impact of their supposed assertive behaviour has a negative impact on people around them. So the first thing I really, really want to be very clear about is is that assertiveness is not that kind of aggressive behaviour. Typically, when I do this training, we look at assertiveness or possible responses in the group of four. So aggressiveness, passive behaviour, so avoiding confrontation, being indirectly aggressive, which is more about non-verbal or non-specific confrontational type behaviour. It might be something like not making suggestions at a meeting or constantly turning up late. And then assertiveness, which is what we're aiming for. And I'll give you some definitions that I really, really like for assertiveness is it's direct and open communication that balances your needs with the needs of others. And then secondly, stand up for yourself, but not at the disadvantage of other people. So it creates this culture of an understanding of what assertiveness is, which is about creating win-wins. I value your needs and I value my needs. When we're aggressive, we only care about ourselves. And I think it's fair for me to say that only caring about yourself, there can be significant impact on others and situations around you. So ultimately, high quality assertiveness, and this is agreed by all the people who look into this very academically, but high quality assertiveness is about valuing yourself, valuing the other person and trying to get the most out of a situation for both of you. Thanks, Trevor. I mean, there's also the other side, like you mentioned, passiveness or what's seen as passive aggressiveness. With there being so many cultures 
embedded within the workplace and the NHS. I've certainly felt overwhelmed at times standing up for myself or being assertive when I'm around more senior people who have been assertive or even aggressive to an extent. So when we have those situations, what stops trainees from going down a more passive route? One of the foundational things that anyone can work on is valuing yourself, as I put it in the previous comment, but we could also call that self-esteem. Because if you value yourself, then it's clear that a difficult situation, even where there's hierarchy, means that you believe that your input is valuable enough to be heard, to speak up. A situation that might be challenging, that you are valuable enough that your input is appropriate. I believe that it's really important to spend time on a regular basis identifying your achievements, where things are going really well for you, so that you can recognise that you're good at what you do, that you make a valuable contribution to the workplace. Because you need to be able to start with, I value myself. Where I don't value myself, that's passive behaviour. And also, Ultimately, this can lead to you feeling frustrated. It could lead to potential issues of safety if you had seen something but didn't speak up. So I can totally understand why in a hierarchical situation it's easy to defer to authority and do what you're told. But if you don't agree or you wanted to ask a question, I think you are valuable. You should speak up. Just a part B that I would like to give to that comment, I've had many years of leadership experience and in the leadership role, even when I've been very busy, it's an absolute responsibility to develop the generation that's coming up behind you. While I may not be fully asking you for your opinion on all occasions, actually it's important to me that the people I'm working with, the people I'm developing, are actively involved and actively asking questions. And therefore, I think you are valuable. I'm telling you from a leadership perspective, I value your contributions, even when I may need to educate a little bit more. However, it has to start with you believing that your contribution is worthwhile. Is there anything you'd like to add to that, Lynn? Yes, you mentioned earlier, Sarah, the diverse nature of the workforce and the fact that colleagues can have trained in different cultures and different countries, different healthcare systems. So expectations of what appropriate assertive behaviour looks like, when it may be exhibited and to whom can vary quite considerably across cultures. And the non-verbal and verbal expression of that can cause some serious misunderstanding, also conflict sometimes. I would agree with you, Lynn. I think there are different cultures due to diversity, but then within the NHS, there's a culture in itself of the team hierarchy, the different types of professionals that there are, the clinicians, the nursing and allied health staff. There are different specialties which bring the different sub hierarchies within that as well, specialties which are seen as the more assertive or aggressive specialties. And it's really hard to break that mould or, you know, challenge it or be different following on from what you've said what do you think that we can do as trainees to make sure that we communicate assertively with our language and with our tone that's a very interesting question when we learn a language as children we learn a style of communication and that style informs how and when and to whom we express our opinions and our needs and of course some cultures can favor extremely simple straightforward, completely transparent requests and statements, which to people from other language backgrounds can sound a little too direct, blunt, very confrontational. And on the other hand, there are language communities that value indirectness, hinting, and what is not said to express needs. One of the challenges communicating in such a diverse community of professionals is to understand the style that someone is using to express their needs and also conversely to recognise assertive behaviour in context. So, for example, in the UK, we often express instruction through requests or suggestions. For example, let's have a look at the results, which might have a pragmatic meaning of, can you get the results for me now and show me? So the way that language is used, the degree of clarity or indirectness is important when expressing your needs. My takeaway from what Lynn is saying is how important it is to understand what's being said on the other side and taking the time to listen without necessarily reacting to perhaps the nature of the 
information. And there's a lovely phrase that I always remind myself whenever I have a reaction from negotiation science, which says, separate people from the problem. If I can focus on what's the information that I'm getting here, that is the win-win because we're obviously working towards something and just because somebody might be a bit more blunt in the nature of their communication because their job requires it it doesn't mean that that is a reflection of how they feel about me and the interaction that they're having with me so focus on what you're both trying to solve understand that there are different cultures and different natures of communication whether that be defined by specialty or defined by where you were brought up and ultimately focus in to solve that problem rather than interpreting it as a personal attack or even just they're not being very nice today. In mm -hmm. terms of my experience in the workplace, most of the time people are just trying to get their job done. They're less worried about who you are and how they're interacting with you. And when we overreact to that, we can actually decrease the quality of the communication. What I think is important to recognise in ourselves is that language does have a content dimension, but also a strong relationship dimension in that we tend to react to how something is said first. And to back up what Trevor said, if we can focus more on the content of what is said and put aside our reaction to the way it's said, recognising that people have different ways of presenting their thoughts and their needs that can be an important skill to develop. And just one other thing in that context, when people feel a sense of belonging to a team, there's a lot more tolerance of this sort of different ways of communicating, different interactive styles. For that reason, it is important that people feel valued and included and that their colleagues are learning about their individual styles. And uh, I'm just going to offer a top tip here. I think absolutely relationships are important. And yes, we might need to focus in on the problem sometimes, but it's certainly a lot easier if we already have a good relationship. My super quick tip for this one is find anything that you have in common with that other individual and maybe even lead with that. That problem is one of the things you have in common, but anything else, and it doesn't have to be a very big thing. So it could simply be something as small as, gosh, I enjoy salt and vinegar crisps too. We have a habit of doing it in the UK. So people who maybe outside the UK culture would recognize we talk about the weather a lot. And this is a way of creating some kind of connection with another individual. So look for something we can both agree on, look for points of similarity, and they don't have to be very big and I'm not just saying that the science backs that up too. I think that's incredibly important because within the workplace especially in secondary care you're rotating you're going into different teams different team members are coming into your team and you've got different individuals on rotors across the hospital so you may not be interacting with people that you are familiar with on a regular basis outside of your immediate team with training nowadays the team structure has moved on and we've move between different consultants and different teams. So it's really valuable to have that top tip from you about quick ways to build rapport leading to effective communication. In certain situations, trainees may need to be assertive with people that they aren't familiar with on a regular basis, such as in the current pandemic. They may be working with or supervised by clinicians who aren't part of their immediate team and wearing PPE and they may be treating patients outside of their clinical comfort zone. So it raises that point we were speaking about earlier about patient safety being at the heart of this. So how can trainees be assertive with people that they aren't familiar with about their clinical competency and being asked to step outside of their comfort zone? I just want to reiterate that finding points of similarity anything it could be the fact that both of you are new to this experience just that simple case of have you seen anything quite as challenging as this before can be a way of building a tiny bit of rapport but it's usually all you need just to smooth the relationship over a little bit another tip here is um, especially if there are hierarchies involved and you're more junior is to ask for little bits of advice and help because people have a tendency to warm to others where they're seeking support from you. So for example, it could be if you're working in a different location, could be asking what's the best way to get here, which is the most efficient route in to work, um, what, where's the best place to get a sandwich. Little things like that can actually build a little bit of rapport and rapport can make dealing with more difficult 
queries easier. So if I feel comfortable in your presence, I'm much more likely to say, oh, I'm unsure about X, Y or Z. Did you want to add to that, Lynn? Just to say that listening first is important. If you're being asked to do something that is different or unusual or that you're worried about, listen carefully first to everything before jumping in with a response. Again, on principles of negotiation, work out what you can do and perhaps you can do some of that and not all of it. Perhaps there's something that can be done in return for you if you offer to help or you offer to step outside your comfort zone. So listening carefully first to what the other person is asking of you, I think is really important. So I guess you could use that situation, say, I need to insert a nasogastric tube into a patient and you've not done one before. You suggest building up a little bit of rapport and then saying, well, I've seen one done before, but I haven't actually done one myself. Would you mind observing me or taking me through this than offering something in return, such as I know in some uh, specialties we do work-based assessments for teaching, so maybe offering something like that. Would that be sort of what you'd see as a win-win situation, Trevor? Well, what I really liked about what you said was you started with the positive, and this is something I'm going to suggest, you know, talking about culture as we were earlier on. One of the interesting things I note from my colleagues here in the UK is we have a tendency to talk about what we can't do first. But you stated that you had seen one done before. So I think that's a great place to start. So I now have an immediate piece of information that tells me about your competency and great to start with the positive and then to indicate the bit that you need support in. So asking then for support and offering something in return is okay. But I think the thing in return here is is that the patient is most well served. (laughs) So I think that's the win-win-win here is Mm. I've observed it. I need supervision to make sure it's done correctly so that the patient gets the very best possible outcome here. So I think that's the bit that's in return. However, no harm. I'd be grateful if you could do this for me. And in return, I could do this for you. If you feel that's something you can offer and has value to the other person, then by all means, um, that will build rapport and improve the relationship in the future. But in my mind, I'd always start with the positive because it puts you in the right frame of mind. Ask for the support that you need. The bit that I would add is being as concise and as clear as you can be, particularly under the current circumstances where everybody's going to be exceptionally time poor, um, but we're time poor even at the best of times anyway. That clarity and that conciseness is highly valuable, especially to people in your leadership um, hierarchy. Do not underestimate how much they will appreciate you getting to the point and being efficient doing so. And I often use a example in the training courses where I just have a three or four sentence dancing around the subject example where I'm going to ask somebody for support. So saying, I was going to ask you last week and I kind of forgot and it's still really important to me. And you can see in people's faces, even after three or four sentences, even from a very sympathetic audience, just how much they are willing me to get to the point. So no harm in being clear and concise. And like I said, start with what you can do, start with the positive. And I think you'll find that that really improves some of these tricky interactions where you're out of your comfort zone. Just to clarify what you can offer instead. In your example, you said, well, I haven't done one before, but I have seen one. That's what you're offering. You're offering to meet someone halfway. This may or may not be relevant, but last night we had one of our individual sessions. And through the session, we noticed that this trainee in the role play included different amounts of information when he was talking to a consultant. The actor was being a consultant compared to when he was talking to a colleague. And there was something there about giving the maximum information you can to a senior to show what a good doctor you are, which actually is not what's required in this situation or in the UK generally, is it? You need to be concise. You need to follow your key points. And something about the relationship that he'd experienced with consultants had meant the extent of information he put in and the amount of times he repeated it for emphasis was quite different from the way he talked to a peer. I think that's really important because within our training, when you're a junior doctor or nurse, your senior colleague 
or your consultant is signing you off. They are then approving your competencies. And where it's really difficult to be assertive and to show that you have a lack of knowledge or a lack of ability in doing something that they've asked you to do, we often fear that the repercussions of that on their impression of us and our sign-off and our career progression. So similar to the situation you've described where there's someone giving information to show how much knowledge they have, I think sometimes perhaps there's a lack of assertiveness and getting to the point of us not knowing something Mm. because of the fear of the repercussions of admitting that to someone more senior. Would you agree with this, Trevor, from your experience in your courses? I would say I agree with that, not just from the courses, but from actually the general working world that I've experienced as well. And I think it's particularly interesting that from the perspective of being in a leadership position, I find it frustrating when people do try and prove that they're great at everything. because I'm well aware that that's not possible. I'm well aware of the mistakes I've made to get to where I am and how I've had to learn and grow. So I think being clear about what you cannot do is a matter of professionalism, is a matter of your growth. And in fact, I've had some consultants say this on other courses. I think not admitting where you need support is actually seen as a sign of weakness. Even though it may not seem like that on the outside, I can assure you that most people who are seasoned leaders recognise where there's weakness in their staff, what they would like to support them on. But when that person won't admit that or even openly state it, it's frustrating and disappointing. So I might suggest to you to lead with what you can do, because I think that's showing professionalism. I think that's putting you in a good light with your leaders, but then recognising what you can't do. And the big thing that you can do to not make that look like a weakness is to indicate what would help you reach the required standard. So your example that you did in a lovely way, you suggested what you would need, i.e. the supervision, in order to do this effectively. Now that to me is a high level of professionalism that's going to promote your growth and your improvement. Even if you didn't know what support would be required, the ability to say, I'm willing to try, what do you recommend would be the best way for me to do this safely? Or what do you recommend would be the best way for me to do this within the limitations that I have? And I think all of those are professional responses to a difficult situation, but fundamentally not damaging your professional standing. I think, if anything, enhancing it because people respect others where they recognise and communicate their boundaries where they are going to struggle. Because usually, and this has been my experience, where somebody lacks that confidence, isn't secure and then attempts to do things anyway, it usually ends up with being a bigger problem for me further down the road. At the end of the day, it's about patient safety and that should be at the forefront of our mind when we are trying to be assertive. And it certainly helped me personally. I've been in situations where I haven't known how to be assertive and I've been more passive and I've been concerned about what my seniors might think and see as weakness. And sometimes I've just frozen on the spot as well. And what would you advise for people who are in that situation who perhaps in that moment can't think of what to say or say the wrong thing? What would you suggest we do? I would say it's important to acknowledge the emotion that you're feeling. And if you don't feel ready to have that conversation there and then, if possible, you can defer it. It's better to address things, obviously, when they arise. But I don't think there's any harm in saying, I don't feel prepared to discuss this now. I need some time to think, can we have a conversation later on about this if it's not an emergency situation? I would 100% agree with that. Perhaps one of the most common themes that I get in feedback from the assertiveness courses we do is people who have found it very empowering to have that concept of a pause, I'll come back to you later. Sometimes I call them holding statements. That gap allows you to think of what the most appropriate response to that situation is. 
so for some people they figured out that that's their best default that's actually my best default i would rarely come up with my very best response on the spot but if you give me a few minutes to think about it i'll come up with a better response a better solution and i think for a lot of scenarios that's okay so know that if you're somebody who needs that safety net or even that uh, little bit of thinking time prepare a statement in advance rehearse it know what it sounds like to say it so that it's your default and you might find yourself in a situation which might feel like a freeze, but actually, you know, I'm not going to be able to come up with the best response in this moment. Can I come back to you in 10 minutes this afternoon? And I think that's a very helpful approach to a situation of when you can't think of what to say in the moment. I think it's OK. Some people are very talented in that moment. Some people need time to reflect. I think that's the nature of what it means to be in a diverse workforce. And that's true everywhere. Probably the only other thing that I'd add to it is do forgive yourself. So if that happens, you think, oh, I should have been able to answer that. That's OK. Think what you might do the next time. It's about growth and it's about getting better, improving. And very often when we task ourselves to improve on that thing, and even if we improve it by 1%, 2% on a regular basis, eventually that accumulates to a lot of advancement. I think you make an excellent point that even if a situation doesn't go to what you think is the best outcome or you don't manage to say what you want to say, learning from it by reflecting on what would you have said if that situation rose again, gives you a chance to not make those same mistakes in the future. And I guess it's about self-compassion as well. Can I ask a question of Lynn? I think it raises this thing that comes up for me time to time in courses, which is about um, being softly spoken. So it's very easy for me. I'm by default a little bit loud. So I would be heard. People tend to respond a little bit to the authoritative tone. But what could I do if I find that my tone is a little bit quiet? My voice is not the strongest in the group. What do you suggest I might be able to do to improve on that? Um, you know, I'm in surgical training where a lot of people are quite assertive slash borderline aggressive. And I've been told to become more assertive because I will make statements in a quieter voice and I'm more softly spoken than some of my colleagues in surgical training. And again, that's seen as a weakness, but that's my default. It's how I develop. So Lynn, I mm. would love to hear your response to Trevor's question. Well, I think that there is a gender issue here as well, isn't there? So as well as volume of voice and tone of voice, it's well documented that women's language is more tentative than men's. We tend to say, I wonder if, instead of I'm going to, or this is, or that should be like that. We're much more, well, we call it softening in language terms. We tend to gift wrap messages much more. So there are all those aspects as well. There's something here about message matching, which would apply across the board, really, to communication style. So if we look at what is considered appropriately assertive behaviour in the context of this workplace right now, there will be certain themes that recur. So the pace at which you speak, the supporting body language you use and tone of voice, etc. I don't think necessarily volume is an issue. I think if your statements are clear and direct, it's less of a problem to speak slightly more quietly. But one thing that is an interesting one is upspeak. So when people use a lot of rising intonation at the end of their sentences, it tends to take away from the strength of the message. Can you hear that in what I'm saying? So when you make a statement like, I need to leave on time today, it sounds less assertive than I need to leave on time today. And then evidence shows that women might add, if it's okay with you, if you don't mind, if that's not too much of a problem at the end. So those are some of the differences to think about in communication style. I'd like to ask something about the phrase, I'm sorry. Would you say that's a very similar thing as when people will say, I'm sorry, I have to leave on time today? Because I would have the tendency to say, don't apologise for that. That's an important thing to you. The literal meaning of phrases is not always the same as their pragmatic purpose. So when someone says, okay, it can have many, many different meanings, depending on tone, depending on context. And similarly with I'm sorry, it can be an expression of empathy, it can be a genuine apology, it can be a sarcastic comment and, and quite belittling. So a lot depends on context. I think too many of those softening politeness phrases do detract from the directness of the assertive message. 
but one or two here and there might be considered to contribute to maintaining the relationship and maintaining harmony. So it's a judgment call, really, you know, who you're talking to, when you're talking, what's gone before and what you want to achieve. But it's not always bad to say, I'm sorry. And it can have different interpretations. So my question to both of you would be, what could more senior supervisors or senior allied health staff understand about trainees being assertive and help trainees to overcome these hierarchies to communicate effectively? Well, number one thing for me would be to recognise that people have different ways of expressing their needs. And those ways may be the result of different personality styles, different linguistic and cultural styles, different emotions that people are going through at the moment. So be alert to your initial response to the style of the message and be ready to look behind it to see what the content of that message really is. I'd add to that to say, in my experience, I found the most useful thing to do was to just ask people, depending on the scenario, but let's just say if I'm going to give you commands and things to do, how can we let each other know, or or rather, how can you let me know that that's not safe for you or you're not comfortable with that and because everybody's a little bit different people will respond to it differently so I try to understand people by being very open and honest about it sometimes I'm going to ask you to do things that aren't very comfortable how would you like to let me know that you're not feeling comfortable and when we agree in advance when we're not in the moment and it's a safe moment it's really easy to come up with some kind of shorthand and we both benefit so it's a win-win again we are able to agree a simple way to let each other know neither of us needs to dance around it and neither of us needs to be offended when the moment arrives because we've agreed it in advance and people like to stick to things they've agreed on the phrase that i would encourage any future leader to look up and any existing leader to look up is called psychological safety this is one of the hottest topics in leadership anyway and it's about creating environments where people feel more comfortable to speak up and be heard without risk or feeling embarrassed and in fact most of this research was founded in medicine and put it very simplistically one of the findings was that teams that reported the most errors were also the most high performing teams It's kind of obvious when you think about it, but I think it's very easy in the moment in work to just get wrapped up in everything that you're doing and not realise that you haven't created the safety for people to speak up. There are three great tips that I always go to for this, which is number one, we've already indicated this is framework as a learning problem rather than an execution problem. Number two is as a leader to model curiosity by asking questions, even where you might know the answers. So you are proactively giving voice to people in your team so that it becomes a habit and have the humility and use humility because can miss things and so it's to say to people I would need your feedback it's going to be really important here because I might miss something because we're going to get really busy and I might not always be the politest person so let me know when you are not comfortable so I'm giving you permission to do that and I've worked with some people who are like that who just know that they're very strong in tough situations and actually proactively letting people know that means that they're much more likely to create that freedom for people to speak up and and be encouraged. So that's what I would recommend to people who are in leadership roles and for future leaders as well. The more you learn about this early on, something I think that's really important here, something that comes up very early on when I talk about leadership, even to foundation level two doctors, they'll often say to me, why are you talking to us about this? And I always frame it as who in your working life right now is looking to you for direction. And if there is somebody that is looking to you for direction, you're in a leadership position. So even though you might not feel like it, take a moment and look around at who are the people that look to you for direction. And then I would encourage you to learn about psychological safety and see how you can deploy it for the people that look to you for leadership. And in those educational relationships, I think one of the important things to establish is how direct the message needs to be. So when you're giving feedback or asking people about their safety and how they're getting on and how what help they might need, it's really important to be aware that in Britain anyway, we tend to make our messages fairly oblique and that other cultures may need much more direct expression or less direct expression. So be sensitive to the style of the message that you're giving and to check how it's received, actually. I've worked with several 
trainees who have not been able to interpret things like, that's quite a good suggestion. What does that actually mean in English? But being much more direct for people who expect a clear, simple message might feel a bit blunt to us, but it might help to get the message across and avoid people saying, I've been here for five years and I've only just realised that people have been saying, my supervisor has been saying some quite critical things, but in a very, very nice way that I, I couldn't read. So being aware of the directness or indirectness required to get the message across, I think is quite important. Which comes back to listening and probably a good time to mention active listening. And the element that I've found very, very useful is when I hear things to let people know what I've understood to get a reflection back from them as to whether I've understood correctly or not correctly. Very, very helpful, I've personally found. Checking understanding, really important. Clarifying where you're unsure in order to make sure that you're on the same page things that we're talking about they're all professional behaviors not all of this will be easy necessarily if you're not somebody who defaults to assertive behavior but I would encourage you to work on these things because they're all things that will improve your interactions with patients with colleagues with anybody that you encounter in your working life and beyond I expect but I do consider these to be a matter of professionalism So therefore, it's okay if it doesn't go right first time. It's okay if you're not perfect at it because these are skills that you need to grow. And like anything you need to grow, it requires attention, love and nurture. New skills that you acquire take time to embed. They take time to become your default. There's a difference between understanding the new skill and being able to put it into action. Um, So be kind to yourself and allow yourself time to acquire those skills fluently. Final question related to the current situation and the pandemic. Everyone's under situations of duress and some trainees may feel that they are being asked to provide care without adequate skills or without the adequate protective personal equipment. How can trainees be assertive or how can any clinician be assertive under these situations of duress? Well, I would say we need to bring into play all the skills that we've discussed. We need to listen very carefully to what is being asked and not to jump in with what we can't do, but to think about what we can do within the limits of competence, to be very clear about whether our competence, our experience will allow us to do this safely. In the context of PPE, we have to recognise that we have the right to decline, to put ourselves in danger, but at the same time to work with the other person to find alternatives to solving problems. And finally, to recognise, as we said earlier, that if you need time to reflect before you're able to give an answer, that's okay too. That if you need to press pause and come back in a while when you formulated an answer, that's quite an acceptable way to approach the situation. One of the things that I would advise is given that you're going to be exposed to potentially very difficult situations that are out of your traditional knowledge, comfort zones, even knowledge of the NHS in general, I would have a few defaults as my safety net, a few stock phrases perhaps that you'll be able to deploy by default without thinking in a difficult situation. So for me, because I know that there's a range of different people I'll work with from time to time and some can be very very sensitive some can just want things bluntly if I might have upset somebody I just have this default of gosh I wasn't expecting that response and I know that I'll go there whenever I've got a response that I think okay that is going to be challenging to deal with and I hadn't intended to trigger that response. That's just a phrase that seems to work well with me. I show care and empathy and so that's my default. Figuring out what a good default would be for you is really, really helpful. Another protective idea and actually one that seems to be of great interest in the training that I do is what I call being disagreeable with a big heart or no by default. So it's about wanting to help, it's about wanting to be supportive, but knowing that you need to give yourself some safe space before you can engage. So basically, if I say, I can't commit to that right now, but tell me more information and let me see what I might be able to do. So you've let people know by default that you can't do something, that you won't do something, but then that gives you the freedom to actually think about what is possible in this situation. Whereas if you just go with your initial emotional reaction, you might want to prevent yourself from you know, engaging at all. So be disagreeable with a big heart, want to really, really help, but protect yourself. And then the last thing that I want to share in this area is actually a specific technique 
the reason I want to share this specific technique is by far and away, this is the thing that people tell me is something that really helps them because what it does, similarly to what I said about being no by default, it's a structure that gives you the ability to give feedback it's a good structure for redirecting behavior. So it allows you to give that feedback in a structured way, in a way that you know you'll cover all the bases without having to worry about something that you might have missed or saying something in a wrong way, because this is intended to maintain the quality of the relationship. I'll give you the very, very quick version of it here. So first of all, describe the behavior that's causing the problem or the challenge. And people believe they can change behaviors, not necessarily who they are. So if I'm the problem, I'm going to be much more defensive. So what's the behavior? What's the effect on you, the team, the department or the situation? Specify the action you'd like them to take. And being specific here is really key. And then giving them some kind of result for changing that behavior. So largely, I would argue a positive framing is better there. So if we can change this behavior, then you will be able to get something in return. However, it is possible also to use a negative to your benefit. So people are a bit loss averse. If we can change this behavior, if we can't change this behavior, then there is this potential loss that might occur. People can get very sensitive to it. So for example, if we don't change something, we might lose some funding. And just to give you a very quick example, it's not the most perfect one in the world, but just give you a very quick example of what that might sound like is in the last month, I've received five last minute requests to work an extra shift, which I've willingly done. On each of those occasions, I've had to cancel personal engagements, which have hurt my work-life balance. And on one occasion, I lost money on a concert ticket that I'd booked. If we can agree that I would get no more than two last minute requests in a month, and at least two days notice for any other request, then this will mean I'll be able to be more protective of my time and continue to make a contribution to the challenges we're facing with staffing right now. What I gave you that has an acronym of BEAR, B-E-A-R, so behavior, effect, action, result. Have some defaults that you can go to safely when you're faced with a situation that's unpredictable, new, and also have some methods. Those structures in a difficult situation, it means you don't have to be perfect in your wording and then use that to communicate. And again, it'll increase the chances of being understood appropriately. Thank you. It's really useful to memorise the phrases and thinking about the language of what Trevor has just said. I noticed that there's a lot of I and we and very little you in this. So your language doesn't come across as accusatory or blaming, but much more about how you see things from your position and how we can work together to change the situation. So for those who are not so comfortable being assertive or learning to be more assertive, and for those for whom English is a second language, it's really beneficial to memorize some key phrases, some structures, the if phrases, the if statements, if we can do this, then that might be the consequence. Those kind of patterns of language are useful to work on in advance or as you develop your skills in assertiveness generally. One of the exchange of if you do this and then I do this, there's another that I'm a really big fan of, which is where you make some kind of commitment to an individual. So it's showing that you want to cooperate. So in the example I gave you, I think I defaulted to it because it's very natural for me, is I want to help with the current situation, although something's going to have to change in order for me to be able to do that. So I will make this contribution. I want to. Can we look at changing X, Y or Z? It's saying that you are willing, you're a participant here, you're not putting up barriers, but we do need to make some adjustments. We do need to consider something. I might need some support, some information, some protective gear. So indicate, you know, if I can have that, then I can make the contribution that we need to make here. I'm 100% willing. And a tip might be to involve the other person in the solution finding. So my instant reaction, if, if I was faced with that situation, is to say, you know, I want to help. I am finding that I can't get the PPE that I need. And what do you recommend is the best way forward here? Or what can we do to resolve this? Because I'm just itching to be involved but it's not appropriate to do so without the PPE. And I wanted to add just one more bit of advice in terms of how you frame things. I would say, particularly when we're dealing with hierarchy, is to defer to that hierarchy in a way. So what I mean by this is to indicate you recognize this. So earlier on, Nin had said something about, I've been here five years. And it might actually be useful to say something like, You've been at this location for five years and I would welcome your input for an approach that I had in mind that might help us 
improve the quality of the work that we're doing here. So I am acknowledging that I am not telling you that you are wrong. I'm acknowledging that you have a valuable contribution to make. I recognize your authority and I wanted to get some input. And therefore, we're together on this rather than it's me versus you or you versus me. And that's the important part of being effectively assertive, which is to work towards maintaining the relationship building a relationship rather than encouraging or increasing confrontation within that relationship. Well, thank you both for your wonderful tips and your insights into assertive behaviour. Joining me today is Amar Hamid who's a high specialty dental trainee in orthodontics based at the Royal London Hospital. Hello, everyone. So, Amma, I wanted to ask you about your experiences of being assertive. As a trainee, what did you find difficult about being assertive? I think by being assertive, you often don't completely agree with someone or you do something that someone doesn't agree with. And I'm someone who always likes to build a really good rapport with either my patients or with my colleagues. So for me, that's the biggest thing I find difficult, ruining that rapport or that relationship with someone. And how did you overcome these challenges to be assertive? I always try and think what's in the patient's best interest or what's the safest thing for me to do right now. And I feel as a clinician, that is part of my job to make that judgment, even if my colleague doesn't think so. What would you say to other trainees listening about how to be assertive? So I think it's important to be confident when being assertive and be firm in your conviction, but try not to be condescending to that person. If time permits, you should try and explain your reasoning to that patient or to that colleague right there and then so they can understand your point of view. However, sometimes time doesn't permit, especially with clinical situations with colleagues. And I always think it's important to try and find time at the end of the day or the end of the clinical session just to explain that reasoning and clear the air. Yeah. So how do you overcome your fears when speaking up and being assertive? Or how do you overcome the challenges and obstacles of the power balance? I think sometimes you need to take time out to think about what you're going to say and how you're going to say it. And I think sometimes speaking to friends or colleagues who are in similar field about the situation that's occurred and maybe what you want to speak to your supervisor or your senior about before you actually speak to them can be a really good way to fine tune what you're going to say and overcome your fears and make your conviction more firm. Amma, that was really great advice. I have Toyin, a GP trainee, who's kindly speaking to us during the pandemic. Toyin, how are you? Thank you, Sarah, for having me. I'm good. As trainees or as clinicians, we are subject to lots of situations, particularly in a high stress time, such as situations where we might need to address conflicts or be assertive. Can you describe some of the things that you may have felt previously when you were more junior about being assertive? Yes, Sarah. What we first need to establish is appreciating what being assertive is. Because I feel that would go a long way in allowing us to realise that it's something that we all need to develop. It is a skill. It is a mode of communication. I'd like to think of it as a quality of being self-assured and being confident without being aggressive. And it is a way of expressing yourself in a way that you are comfortable with, that you have made known your needs and your wants in a way that changes are affected. Going to the challenges that I've had as a much junior trainee, I think it's situations where the supervisor or the consultant isn't used to having a trainee that would speak up and making a request due to unfavorable situation and having a negative reaction as a result of that. I suppose one thing that is also important that affects all trainees across board is working with others, other colleagues who aren't happy to speak up because they perhaps don't feel empowered to do so. And having that as a reason why someone would say, well, no one else is talking, no one else is speaking up, it's just you. So it must be you that have the problem, whereas it's because they don't feel empowered to do so. So I find that in the past, those are being the challenges that I've faced. 
Thank you, Toyin. I think those points will resonate with lots of trainees. How have you managed conflict successfully in your career? It's something that I've evolved with over time. And I think the first thing is just acknowledging that your needs are valid, that you do deserve to be treated fairly in workplace, that you don't always have to accept what is thrown at you, especially when the situation is unfair or when you are trying to request for changes that would allow you to have a better experience. And whilst doing this, you are also effecting positive changes for your other colleagues. So I think the first thing for me is first validating that my need and the needs of other colleagues are valid and that what you are requesting for is not out of line. And I think in most cases, when most trainees reflect and share their experiences and when they feel upset, it's because they've asked for something reasonable and those needs have not been met. It is in these scenarios that we then realise actually it is important to be assertive and we need to make sure that we validate our needs. The ways I've employed in overcoming the way I've felt is to equip myself. So I remember having to go to a supervisor through an email. I looked through a clinical supervisor report. This was in foundation year. And I thought the report wasn't reflective of the performance in that rotation. And I felt quite upset. I'd never experienced that situation before. So I thought, well, first of all, it's because they weren't present all the time. So I've known that I've done a lot much more than they had reflected upon in my report. So I thought, so what I would do would be to actually bring that to the attention. So I was able to make references to my e-portfolio entries to say, well, I did cover these cases. I did contribute in these scenarios. And thankfully, they were all evident in my e-portfolios. I was able to say, I would be grateful if you could make changes to your reports that you've done for me because I would not feel comfortable countersigning these reports because it's not reflective of my performance. And I found that it was quite useful, that it did help. And I felt quite empowered because sometimes it's just a case of having good evidences to support yourself and being true to yourself that actually I am upset. This is not reflective of my performance in that case and making a clear request. Thanks, Toyin. I think hopefully trainees will hear what you forgot to say and feel very empowered. Was there anything else you want to share with our listeners? I think being assertive is everyone's responsibility as a trainee to make sure they build a plan. And one of the few tips I would share is acknowledge your needs, be clear about what it is that you're upset about, and make it into a request, not just a comment. Because most people are used to having trainees complain and they just think it's another complaint. But make it into a request and be confident in your request. Know what your employee rights are. Know what you are entitled to. Read those small points of your contract. So have that at the back of your mind that you are making a request that is within reason. So just validate yourself and go ahead and make that request. Be confident about it. If it is a face-to-face meeting, focus on your posture, maintain a good eye contact. Make sure you also, importantly, see from that viewpoint so that it doesn't look like you're only self-focused. Yes, you are focused on yourself. It is a need of yours and you are entitled to that need. But you get a much more favorable response. Try and acknowledge their viewpoints, why they might have said no. So use that to say, I can see where you're coming from. It's about being confident, having a clear request and knowing your entitlements. Equip yourself with the right information, I would say. I'd like to close this episode um, and hope that you'll join us for our next Professional Support Units pandemic podcast. In addition, I'd like to make a small mention of certain charities that are running at the moment. So there is the Scrub Hub and the Facial Protection Hub that are providing PPE for trainees and doctors and nurses across the country. So if you do not have PPE, please get in touch with them. I'd also like to thank Vanessa Petroni for her help with leading this episode and the technical support and to Jane Gardner-Florence for her editing. Thank you very much.